Hello, and welcome to Talkie Talk, the podcast for the media by us. My name's Brent. I'm here today with TJ. Hey. And it's a special occasion. Al is hey. back on the podcast. Hello. Second time? Yeah. It was, yeah, it's been a while. We talked about, remember, We Are the Best. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. It was a good movie. Just yeah, that still stuck with me. It's yeah. a good movie. We're, uh, we're going to be talking today about our homework from last week, which TJ assigned. It was the HBO movie Fahrenheit 451. And uh, then we're going to be talking a little bit about, uh, I don't know, just sort of a freeform conversation on uh, HBO and or uh, anything else that our discussion on Fahrenheit 451 leads us to. Yeah. TJ, why don't you take it since it's your homework? Yeah, I'll try to actually give the plot of the movie because it differs a fair bit from the book at times but the, the main premise is there uh, it's a dystopian future in the US uh, I think the movie is actually set in Ohio is that right? Cleveland okay nice. yeah I know it's so weird <laughs> Cleveland um, but it's a future where firemen now are people who pretty much they're kind of like internet celebrities they run around burning books burning the written word uh, to keep the populace at peace. Um, that way there's no, like, arguing is the way it was kind of framed in the movie. And uh, Michael E. Jordan plays Guy Montag, who's the protagonist in the, the book. Michael Shannon plays his boss. And uh, he kind of has a enlightenment, goes through it in the movie, and decides that he he is more interested in reading and learning about books. Turns out he was kind of always that way. You get through flashbacks, you realize his dad was reading. He kept, like, a secret stash of some propaganda. Uh, I think some stills from Singing in the Rain, I think. Was yes. that was. And uh, just some little stuff. Postcards. DC. But it's a completely, like, fabricated uh, history that the world is now living under. Or the U.S. is now living under. And, uh, like, it's common knowledge that Ben Franklin was the you know started the first fire department and gave them the power to burn books and whatever which is obviously is not the case everything prior to the second civil war seems to be an accurate history of the US and now it has changed um what do I think I thought it was a pretty bad movie not awful but so we're we're definitely bad. coming at it from different perspectives because I have never read the book and this was I've actually never even read really about the book. I was always aware of what it what it was about, but that was about it. Like, I knew it was about firemen who burned books. So this was my introduction to the story, and uh, I, thought it, I thought aspects were interesting. I, I actually liked some of the, uh, maybe, set design of the, the updated version of it, but I didn't think it was a good movie. It just failed to connect to me. It failed to grasp me, really. Yeah. All the dialogue was particularly bad, and especially in the first like twenty minutes, a lot of the dialogue Michael B. Jordan had, like the running around the first burning where they're at. He's like, "Let's do this!" Oh, where they're like running out of the locker room, yeah, like, almost like running onto the football field, and, and they're like, all pumped about it. And, and he's the, like, has that line that seems so out of place. Yeah, it's it, yeah. yeah, yeah. And like the boxing match where he's like. You want more of this? It just seemed like written by like a eighteen year old. A lot of the dialogue. Yeah, and they they went to pains to make sure they worked in like iconic moments from the book. I think because like even though I've never read the book, I know the first line is "It was a pleasure to burn," and there's that scene at the beginning when uh, 
guy says, he screams out, Man, it is a pleasure to burn, as he ignites the books on fire. It, it seems like they spent more time writing songs about for the firemen to sing than they did working on the dialogue. Salamander <laughs> eats his tail. So, yeah. Dude. Books all could go to hell. <laughs> I forget, but lots of chant songs in this movie. Do you think that they're like run into this thing where like they feel as like filmmakers like we need to put that line in, and like you just feel like square peg round hole. We have to like no matter what we're gonna shove it in there, even though it just yeah big, maybe doesn't work, you know. And that's like one of the things like when well I mean first of all I I wasn't really impressed by it either. And, uh, it, um, when I'm not impressed by a movie, I find myself, like, watching a movie and, like, picking out, like, looking for different things in a movie. So you just, like, look for things like that, where mm-hmm. you look for, like, where the dialogue like, doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And you find yourself, like, not, like, <sighs> for instance, there's a scene where he's, like, finally makes it to the barn at the end or whatever. And he's, like, watching the wind rustle through the trees and hearing it all. Mm-hmm. And it's a really cool scene, except for the fact that like, I find myself watching it going, I can almost tell that they've like taken a fan and blown it on part of the tree because that's not really how wind blows through trees. Like I'm like deep looking for flaws. Yeah. And yeah. I, that's the problem when a movie's like not all that great for me. Yeah, it. Uh, I actually had a problem with uh, Michael Shannon's character. I didn't understand that character or his motivations really in the movie. I didn't understand. I thought it was very unclear because he keeps pulling out the little pieces of paper and he keeps writing, and so he he clearly values the written word in some way, shape, or form enough to write little notes to himself and then dispose of them so he doesn't get caught. But I, I don't know. I never got a clear idea of of how he really felt. He also does that thing where he's he's obviously memorized the book he's having him read at the end. So he's read that book enough to memorize random parts of it. I mean, he just opened up in the middle and gave it to him. And in the book, I mean, again, I'll go on record, I'm a very uh, clear when it comes to I don't think a adaptation from a book the adaptation part doesn't make the movie good or bad for me. You can change something, it doesn't matter. Oh, yeah. It's totally irrelevant. But that was super unclear. And in the book, it was very clear that you didn't know, I, I would say. Like, you weren't quite sure what the captain's motives were. Yeah, and I was reading... Uh, so I, I went, think in the book, he's got, like, a room full of books. I went, he finds yeah, yeah, I don't remember. He takes a guy to his ago. house, and he's got, like, a library. I read a plot synopsis <clears> of the book after I watched the movie, and it said that, like... And it said the same thing. It said you're never quite clear on how he felt, but it works better, I guess, because he, guy kills him right. in the book. And yeah, if you you're not, th- there's there's a there's a sense that he was possibly like suicidal in the book, right? And and I thought that's maybe what they were getting at with his early scenes when he was writing like to live is to suffer in the movie, but. Instead, he just goes full-on villain. and it, it almost seems like the first half of the movie was written by one person and the second half was written by someone else. Yeah, it me. was definitely a mixed bag. And it was... I mean, how do you feel about like it being like a good or bad vehicle for... You know, not only like Michael Shannon, but like Michael B. Jordan. 
don't know. He was super hesitant to um, be in the film. He turned it down initially because he said, like, it is not the time for a prominent black actor to play an authoritarian figure like a cop that's going around burning books. You know what I mean? Like, he just didn't feel like that was a good time to make that character, you know, Scott Montag's written as like a, not supposed to be played by a 30-year-old black man. <laughs> not written as a 30-year-old black man, I'll say right, that. Right, um, And so initially he turned it down and then kind of Michael B. Shannon got on board and Michael B. Jordan was like, oh, okay. Like, if I get opposite, act opposite him, I'm, I'm in. But, so he was close to saying no, but it's not good for, for him. Michael B. Michael B. Shannon. Michael Shannon is kind of notorious for having some flops here or there. Um, he's great when he's great, and he just picks some bad roles, I think. You know, this was his uh, at least second time working with this director. You know what they did together? What's that? 99 Holmes. Oh, uh, really? Yeah. Which also features Michael Shannon. You're not quite sure about him, and then he just turns full-on villain yeah. in the in the, in the the end. I wonder if the director like knows he gets him and then he just wants to have that Michael Shannon villain because he plays it so fucking well. Yeah. That maybe he's just like, eh, abandon that. Go full villain. I was a big fan of Nine on Homes. I mean, it's sad as shit, but I thought it was good. I thought it was very good, too. And this was not. Not. <laughs> well, you saying that makes me want to go see that. I've never seen Nine on Homes, so. It is a depressing movie. It's I a, thought it was It's good. a tearjerker, but it's good. <laughs> it's essentially about, like, repelling homes for people that can't afford them. I did During the like time when that was, you know, like came, after the... It came out in 2009, I yeah. want to say. Okay. So it's during that time where people were given houses they couldn't afford and it's about people like taking them back. It's, it's super sad. <laughs> in the movie, I did I did wonder when he picked up, he just picked up the top book off that big stack of books and I just thought, well, it really likes out that that was a, you know, like an important work of fiction instead of, you know, handbags of the 20th century that he just picked up because he doesn't know they're books he's never held a book before and he picks it up he's like I must read this you know and also it tied back to the woman like that was the book she memorized oh right so it was like what is the you know it's so serendipitous that he picked that up did he pick up did he pick up Salinger she was Salinger right who the The, one who killed herself the suicide woman she was Grapes of Wrath that's right and he picked up Oh, that's right. She was Grapes of Wrath. Okay. She was reading it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, one of the books that got lost to humanity forever. No. And then that's the... Shannon has... I mean... I guess he's not taking the drops. So did y'all pick up on that? The eye drops? Oh, yeah. So they keep questioning, like, Montag. Is, is he taking his drops? And it, I guess the drops make you forget. And Maybe. so my Shannon isn't... Not, the captain's not taking his... And so that's why, so he's like, as he stops taking him, the memories start getting longer, the memories of his dad and everything. Yeah. Um, So I guess that's why the captain has has remembered all this. So yeah, trying to make that, trying to make an argument for the captain's character, or the character of the captain, uh... Started to wonder if maybe they wanted us to believe that he wanted to get promoted so he could, like, fix the problem from within. That's what I was thinking. And then when Michael B. Jordan kind of fucked that up for him, that he was just so angry that now there's no way to fix it. So he just kills him. After, I don't know, the bird thing was weird, too. It's like, the bird has all 
13,000 books or whatever, and it's like, okay, I'll save the bird. And it's like, that bird's going to die in a minute. It's going to get eaten by an owl. <laughs> you know? Right. Not the way to save the bird, I feel like. That whole aspect was really convoluted. It, it was really strange. The, the whole, we're putting this these DNA chips into these birds. Although that's, yeah, it happens in the book, doesn't it? I don't know. I can't remember. There's a bird in the book. The yeah. kid has a bird. I know that. <laughs> so. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of it that, like, you just have to kind of roll with if you accept it. You know, it's like, I mean, I get where they're coming from as, like, filmmakers. They want to, like, adapt some seminal work and make it, like, up to date in a commentary on the world we live in. You know, but, like, I just think it's, like, one of those things where if you don't make it work, not everything, when you have that great idea, Mm -hmm. ever works. And it's, like, there were, like, maybe some themes in there that were worth exploring, but I don't know if they really explored them, like, really well. Like, how do you stop, like the written word from like if everyone's like the border of Canada you is so like porous like how do you stop really like I mean I guess you just have to live in a totalitarian state and stop everything from like coming in but like I don't know it's just, they also do a, the poor job I mean kinda how does everyone know how to read well, there's still things you can read. Well, you read the nine, or the the nine is the the, internet. the new internet. So there's still they talk about the, the beginning three books, the, the three, three books. books. That was the three of the books, I think. Okay, but yeah, there are there are books you could read. Um, but I remember, I definitely remember Moby Dick being in a book, and it being like a different version of Moby Dick, and actually not being shit. Who wrote it? Melville. Yeah, yeah. It was like a a redone version. It was what was it? The Bible, Moby Dick, and something else they brought up. It was like uh, some guide to something. It's uh, something about the lighthouse. Uh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I can't remember. The lighthouse keeper? Is that a thing? No, Maybe. like we'll meet at the lighthouse or... Yeah, I'm showing my liter- literary chops here. <laughs> something with the lighthouse. <laughs> oh, this ain't Reedy Reed. <laughs> to the lighthouse? <laughs> Is it to the lighthouse? Is that a thing? Something like that, yeah. I'll look this up so we stop sounding like idiots. Oh, okay. And they also still have like... They have Facebook, essentially. You know? They still like read. I will say this movie for an exercise in like giving you like kernels of like something to look up or like something to like investigate if you're so inclined is a good movie for that. You know, bringing up like, oh, maybe I should go figure out the allegory in the cave, you know, that he references or like what exactly is Michael Shannon like writing down on those papers and like how many of them am I familiar with and am I not? familiar with and why am I not familiar with them you know Um, that was one of the most interesting things about the movie I would say it was just like rabbit holes you could go down you know uh, as far as like major like literature written Mm -hmm. I did like the updating for social media of it I thought that was interesting the way you, you saw all the the likes and the thumbs ups and the the faces floating upward like they do on Facebook. Um, some some updated portions felt a little on the nose to me, um, but that part I liked. I liked the social media integration. How did you feel about the um, images being broadcast on the side of skyscrapers again? 
I'm kind of over that visual. I'm just saying the same thing. Like, yeah. how many times do we need to see it? Is this like the world we're gonna live in, where I just go watch TV on like the, the Times Square, but crazier? Right. Yeah. Hold on, let me stop off here and watch a rerun of Friends <laughs> on the side of Bank of America Tower. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Family guys on. On the Empire State with the Chrysler Building. I mean, it's just been like done, like and it's also like yeah. It's great if you're in a helicopter, but if you're on the ground, it's like, like what are you supposed to? How do you watch the side of a building? Like who's yeah. it for? It's it's, it's for, for the, the camera panning shot. It's yeah. for the camera. Right. That's irritating. Yeah. It's just I I just it's kind of eye rolly. I was like, uh, this is like, that's been done like we've been doing some version of this since like Blade Runner yeah it's cool like, when Blade 82. Runner came out 82 yeah like we've uh, this has run its course and that's that's a good like wrap up kind of I think for Fahrenheit is that it's it's just eye, too many eye really parts where you're just like okay like the the thing with the kid like that's a cool like this kid's got like a photographic memory he's memorized all these books do I need a 15 minute scene of him like proving his like no I got it I believe you I don't yeah, need it shown really to me over that. and over again what yeah the other question I had when I was watching that is like why does everyone that's intelligent like have to be so eccentric like why is that like a movie trope you know like yeah. can't the person just be like whatever also why does he need unquote? a why does he need to memorize the book like by page and line yeah. just memorize the book or even really just the story <laughs> Like, I think I could memorize 13,000 books if I had a bunch of time. Maybe not word for word, but I could tell you the plot of every one of them. Yeah, I think it's just... I mean, to me, this movie was, like, a good, like, idea, like, a good pitch moment. You know, it's like, they came to the director or the writer and was like, what do you got? Well, I've got this updated take on Fahrenheit 451, but it really wasn't, like, 100% thought out. Yeah, I I agree. And... They had a few things to say, and then it just didn't really work, like, totally. Is is the U.S. alone in this uh, totalitarian state? You are led to believe that. The, the, I always pictured the first the books being set in Alaska, because you don't know. You don't know where it's set. I don't know why I always pictured Alaska, but I did yeah. when I was little. So I don't really know, and I couldn't even tell you the date. It, I, it's the U.S. could in. not look like the U.S. as we know it, too. Well, because everybody, it's all in Ohio, the movie. The movie is, yes. Including the other fire directors. I don't know if you noticed <laughs> the, the yeah. cities under their names when they had the they're all conference in Ohio. call. Yeah, it was like Toledo, Akron. But there are firemen in other states. Yeah, they, the captain of that. They talked about Pennsylvania. They referenced Pennsylvania yeah. a few times. And he mentions D.C. at but, one point or something. Canada still seems to be free thinking, right? We don't know. We don't know what the deal with Canada is. Oh. It could be like a war torn. Like it could be free thinking, but like desert Mad Max kind of place. I don't know. They don't yeah. really say. They just it's, yeah. it's not. It's different than the U.S. But the U.S. could be the rest of the world for all I know. You know what I mean? Right. I don't know. Again, some some better world building would have helped this movie. Yeah, I don't even like I was saying. I don't even know when it was set. Like, it's like, I think it's the future, except for he's driving, like, this year's Mustang. And then they get in, like, a 1983, like, Ford Explorer. Yeah. At the end. And then... Like a Volvo. 
it's like, like is this present? It could be present. And then you've got the other trope of like of what looks like homeless people or near homeless people hanging around like barrels with fires in them. Like how many times do I have to see that too? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I've read that the the movie, which this is like the you know curse of death for any movie, but they director and the editor edited it down to about two and a half hours. HBO got their hands on it and they were like, nope, it's not going to cut it. So they cut another about 50 minutes out of it. And whenever that happens, and not that, I kind of thank God, I think HBO is probably trying to turn it into kind of like an action movie or something, you know. But whenever there's like multiple people trying to make a movie in the same way, yeah. If you've got two editors and then editing it without the director or the original editor, you're just—it's not going to be good. Yeah, this felt like a lot of like one of those movies where you can like see the compromises, like you can like just yeah. read into like the choices like they made. Yeah, we've talked to some of them about Solo, and I think we're all kind of on the same page with Solo. Feel the same way about it, which was it wasn't bad. It was above average, but it wasn't like jaw dropping. And even that, just like having to have two directors filming a movie, it's just it's really hard to make it great yeah you know? I mean all that being said though I really like watching Michael B. Jordan and yeah. I really love watching Michael Shannon huge and fan of both of them these weren't it wasn't like I wouldn't say a step backwards but like maybe a lateral move for the both of them like I've seen this from Shannon before and I kind of want to see something else yeah. this was just almost like the same character he played in like um, what's Shape the, of Water Shape of Water you know yeah. and it's uh, Michael B. Jordan seemed a little not no really knowing what how where to take this like is this like a love story between me and and the female protagonist is this like I you know I couldn't see it all there so them making him almost kill the fireman the fireman that was fake in the house in the attic oh right like what again it was like they spent, they spent eight minutes on that and it was like why. I don't know. Like, that didn't make me... Some biblical allegory or something. I know what he's thinking. You know what I mean? Like, he's a yeah. reliable narrator to me. I know he's, like, fucked over the fireman and he wants to do this. Yeah. So, this is for the characters? Like, it didn't, make, it didn't need to be in the movie. Yeah, his conflict arc, like, just was messy to me. Like, the moment he started going down it, he was still acting like a fireman for the whole time. Yeah. You know? And, uh, I don't know. It just... Here's, here's what I wish we had seen. You know when he's picking the one book? <laughs> wish he'd picked. <laughs> Read. <laughs> Tennis fashion. <laughs> yeah. That's probably the best one. I wish he would have picked up uh, Farmer's 97 Guide to England. <laughs> I got that over the shelf over there. It's like that all he, all he, his introduction to books could have been Tennis fashion. Yeah. But instead, he picked the one like right next to it, the like history of the freedom of press, <laughs> like something super important. Right. Wish he picked up Lake Lobagon days. Garrison Keillor. <laughs> picked up a Rush Limbaugh book. <laughs> uh, can I ask one last question before like yeah. we move on? Yeah. So it being an HBO film, did you feel like the stakes were different going in? Like, you feel like watching something on HBO and it's a, like an HBO movie that like. Your expectations are higher, lower, or, you know, like, different in a way? I think my expectations would have been higher if I had watched this without any knowledge of critical response. But I already knew critics were kind of cool on this movie. Yeah. So, I wasn't expecting to love it. But I was open to it. 
HBO does put out quality stuff there. Right. But, I mean, I guess my expectations going in were... I don't know if I let, like, the whole, like, HBO name being on it, like, sway me. But, like, I... I guess you start to, like, wonder, like, why this didn't go to a theater or something. You know, like, those questions start popping into your head. You know, like... Yeah. It was um, was an HBO movie from the get-go, as far as I know, and they... um, They also don't have to release anything. So, they haven't released a budget for it. Right. So, there's no, like, that kind of backlash is impossible. Yeah. Um, It's... no such thing as an HBO like a bomb, right? Yeah, they're just not great movies and great movies that they do. I mean, same with their original programming; they put out a stinker every now and then, but it's usually pretty damn good. Yeah, I just wonder because like my expectations were going into it were just like, well, okay, I'll try it out and see. Yeah, I was really happy to see it was you know an hour and a half. I was like, good start. Yeah, because mm-hmm. um, that's one thing I did not check beforehand. When I signed it, I was like, dear God, don't let this movie be like 190 minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I might have called in sick today. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, did you have any uh, direction you wanted to steer the conversation? I do want to talk uh, in detail as much as we can about HBO original programming. But first, I just wanted to like quickly run by. Are there any, obviously all three of us are big fans of Michael B. Jordan and Michael Shannon. Any other movies like that? Not necessarily made for TV. I mean, I think we're to the point now where Netflix originals, HBO originals, they're they're just as good. They have the ability to be just as good as anything that comes out in the theater. So, any movies at all that have cast you love or director you were like in love with that came out and just fell flat for you? Because I would say this movie, while not being awful, definitely fell flat. That's a good way to say it. Yeah. So, anything jump into mind for y'all? Um, you know, like, right off the bat, like, I think there, it's really easy for, like, comedies not to work, and you're just really pumped for, like, someone that's in it that you just find really funny, mm-hmm. and you're just like, why did this not work, you know, um, yeah, know. Like, off the top of my head, you mentioned that, it's like, riding the coattails of, like, Anchorman and Ricky Bobby, but, like, Semi-Pro coming out was, it had moments, but, like, nowhere near as funny as those two movies were. Right. And I think, like, it's, like, easy to be, like, you're just on board with the cast. You're like, oh, how could this miss? Yeah. And you're like, ew, that's how it could miss. Right. You know? Um, I don't know. I was looking at the, like, <clears throat> a list of, like, Googling, like, that topic. And it was like, um, oh, yeah, year one was horrible. Oh, when it yeah. should have been okay. Or at least, at, like. At minimum. I'm, right. I'm also doing some, I'm looking at lists, uh, and I think this this is a great choice. I mean, this cast has so many of my favorite actors in it. Um, John Krasinski, Emma Stone, Bill Murray, Rachel McAdams, Bradley Cooper, Danny McBride, Alec Baldwin, and one of my favorite directors, Cameron Crowe. The movie was Aloha. Oh, uh, yeah. And that was a big it. waste of time. Yeah, Aloha was bad. Okay, so... Okay, I'm not going to waste my time. Yeah, that was the one where there's a lot of backlash before the movie came out because Emma Stone was cast as a Native Hawaiian Asian. And it was Emma Stone. It's like, pissed off a bunch of Native Americans in Hawaii. Um, I remember one when, from, like, years ago that, like, should have been, like, huge. And everyone was like, it was like, 
best-selling book. Tom Hanks is in it. You know, like it was Rise to Stardom and it's Bonfire of the Vanities. Oh God, that's a great and, like Bruce just, Willis. Yeah, and everyone was like, it's like a dog with fleas, and so you know, it just got in a story such that was like terrible reviews, so good, mouth and yeah, yeah. Um, but I just remember that being like a huge disappointment. God, there have been other ones that have been like stinkers. Like, was Hudson Hawk like the follow up to Die Hard? Yeah, I think so. I it was after. How about this cast? How about this uh, talent? Uh, ben Kingsley, Justin Timberlake, John Oliver, Stephen Colbert, Jim Gaffigan. Um, and the movie starred basically someone who had not put out anything that wasn't a major hit ever. Mike Myers. And that movie was The Love Guru. Oh, The Love Guru was bad. (laughs) Very bad. That's like top of the world to falling off like just this huge precipice. You know, like for Mike Myers. Yeah, man. I know like Sandler had already started to make some stinkers with uh, Happy Madison, but uh, like you imagine the Grown Ups cast in a movie in like 2000? It would have made like I mean, I'm sure it still made a bunch of money, but it would have yeah. been like, people would have been so fucking excited to go see Chris Rock, Adam Sandler, Kevin James, David Spade. Oh, yeah. yeah. Slam dunk. Right. Yeah. The and movie. I'm sure there are still people that went to see it just because of that. This movie's made a ridiculous amount of money. I've got a one that I totally forgot about this movie existing, but after um, American Hustle, after Silver Linings Playbook, Bradley Cooper and Jennifer Lawrence are bona fide superstars, and they make this movie together called Serena. You remember this? I remember it coming out. I never it's saw it. It's a like Western love story where she's a like a Falcon trainer. Wow, I've blocked that out. Dude, a Falcon trainer. Did. It didn't even have a release. And it was like there were like people wrote like thousand word articles on like this is proof. You can't just like go get the because this is two thousand fourteen Bradley Cooper and Jennifer Lawrence. Like the printing money, you would think. Yeah. And I mean Dude, it budget of thirty million. It made five million worldwide. It just, yeah. It was. I remember reading about it and be like, "This is so fucking interesting." Hey, here's another Michael Shannon one I found. Uh, How about this cast? Michael Shannon. Look, this top four is amazing. Michael Shannon, Michael Fassbender, John Malkovich, and Josh Brolin. Michael Shannon, Michael Fassbender, John Malkovich, and Josh Brolin. It's a, uh, it's a great force in the lead cast. Yeah, it is. But it didn't work out so well for Jonah Hex. Oh, Jonah Hex. <laughs> Boy. I forgot that movie existed, too. Dude, I did not know Fassbender was in that movie. And then uh, all these lists seem to have the same choice for number one, and it and it's, in another, it's an ensemble comedy. Uh, movie 43. Oh, yeah. That's different. Yeah. It's, it is awful. I'll give them that. But... Yeah. It's like you've seen it. Or I haven't know what seen it, it but it's I'm like familiar. Yeah. yeah, I've uh, recently listened to a podcast where they just one guy just like one guy like gets it, and then the other guy on the podcast just is like, "Oh God, it's awful." And yeah. I've never seen all the Kingsmen, the 2006 one, but it is consistently popping up on these lists too. And the cast That's is it. great: Sean Penn, Jude Law, Kate Winslet, Anthony Hopkins, James Gandolfini, Patricia Clarkson. Mark Ruffalo and Jackie Earl Haley, and nobody went to see it, and nobody seemed to like it. Yeah, from what I understand, that was like a pet project of Penn's, and like once he got some cachet, he's like, "I'm gonna go make this movie that I've always wanted to make," and it's just warm, warm, 
Yeah. Um, I've got one here, um, which by all accounts should have worked. You know, great writer, uh, Dustin Hoffman, Sharon Stone, Samuel L. Jackson in Sphere. Sphere. David's a fan of Sphere. The movie. Somehow. I mean, yeah. I know. I mean, yeah. I guess I don't know. I was I was a huge fan of the book and was real excited, and then the, I thought the movie. I guess about. for expectations to like to what ended up, it's like it should have been like a grand slam, and it was just like a double off the wall. Special effects were really bad in Sphere. Yeah, they were awful. Yeah, I don't know. That's 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 interesting. Um, anything else before we move to the main event? Um, here's a good one that should have worked. What you got? Uh, William Hurt, Mimi Rogers, Gary Oldman's the baddie, lost in space. Oh, shit. See, most of these I just, like, blank. I just, like, okay, like, do the Harry Potter wand memory out and put it in a jar somewhere and never think about it again. I don't know if I want to see those jars. (laughs) Yeah. What's in this closet? Burn that one. Burn that jar. TJ's bad thoughts. <laughs> TJ's bad movies. <laughs> Fahrenheit 451. Oh. Put it right in the thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, but what I wanted to talk about mainly, because I think it is uh, very important, and I think everybody would agree it's important. It's just something I never really thought about. But it's uh, HBO original programming. Fahrenheit 451 was an HBO original movie. They've had several <laughs> of those throughout the years, and uh, a lot of really good ones. I think the TV shows and the documentaries are just pretty much like magnificent. Like they're they very high batting average when it comes to that kind of stuff. Um, I don't know. We're all fans of HBO original programming. Where does that where does that start for y'all? Like Oz. Oz is the starting point because Oz is the show is the first one, and it's the show. That, it's not technically their first show, but it's the first one where. They really embrace their ability to show R-rated things in a TV series. It was very R-rated. It's, it's I would say it's actually still the most R-rated. Possibly it's far show. worse than like The Sopranos or Breaking Bad or Game of Thrones or anything. It's, it's worse than Game of Thrones mm-hmm. for sure. Have you seen any of us? Uh, uh, it is. Yeah. This is going to be a like, mixed bag for me because I've like seen some, some HBO stuff. stuff. That's all everybody is. Yeah. Oz is a like violent and despicable. Like it's like the worst of the worst prison. Life. Yeah, I mean I'm familiar with it. I've just I've never like gone back and like sat down and binged it through. It is. Oh, I can't think of a worse show to try to binge. Uh, I watched it all a few years ago, but it was uh, it took me a long time. I had to take breaks in between, not even seasons. I had to take breaks in between episodes. It's just such a heavy show. There's a. Uh... So do you think it doesn't work as a, like, do you think most HBO shows work better as a binge or better as how they, they their model? Well, I actually, so I think it's different. I actually think Oz definitely works better as a week-to-week show. And don't sit down and watch it in a bunch of four-hour sessions, because you, uh, you'll just be emotionally damaged. But you take a show like Westworld, which is, um, the first season of Westworld there was just so many plot twists and turns that I think Westworld season one would work better as a binge because I think it's easier to sit down and just take it all in in one long session 
or a couple of longer sessions rather than because we watched that show we watched the first season of Westworld uh, Westworld week to week and it was hard to I mean it wasn't hard we we followed it but it wasn't uh perfectly easy to just keep up with all the things that were going on but if it's the kind of show where if you're watching the episode 8 right after you've seen episode 7 then you're more likely to follow it I think easier there was a lot of confusion from and I think I think Westworld turned a lot of people off due to its the density of its plot in the first season do y'all think shows like Breaking Bad and um, oh my god I'm drawing a blank on the advertising show that Mad was Mad Men uh, and even into some of the streaming services like Handmaid's Tale Stranger Things Ozark, some of these like critically acclaimed shows from Netflix, Amazon, and Hulu, do those happen without? Do you get that FX AMC streaming show run of like hour long dramas without Sopranos and Oz? Maybe over time you do. Maybe it's one of those things that evolves in on its own. Sure, I guess the better question I should have asked is like, is there a direct correlation? Yes, in the current world we live in. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think, like... I mean, I can't speak to Oz, but definitely, like, Sopranos was a game-changer. Like, I think Sopranos was the, like, top of the graph. Like, Oz was like, we'll get it going. And Sopranos, like, fuck it, exploded. It was water-cooler talk. It's a weird comparison, but for me, Oz is Kronos, and the Sopranos is Zeus. It's like the... Like, without Oz, you don't get the Sopranos, but the Sopranos showed you what television without should be. Sopranos is the re- like the direct reason to everything else, maybe. Yeah, nobody was... People weren't... Yeah, yeah. Like, Mad Men wasn't trying to make the new Oz. They weren't sitting there just being like, we gotta make the next Oz. We're trying to make the next Sopranos. That's what Breaking Bad and Mad Men and all these prestige TV shows of the modern age were doing... They're trying to replicate The Sopranos' success. Because um, The Sopranos was a truly great show. And Oz was a good show. But Oz is just the... Oz just tore down the barriers of to TV, in a way. It did, but like The Sopranos like kicked in a whole like other door. Mm-hmm. Where it was like beyond like niche, you know? And it was, I think, like the first cable show to be nominated for... A drama Emmy, possibly. Uh, so like it became prestige, like you said. Yeah, you know, and like film or TV making at that level, you showed other people it could be done. It's like TV's first auteur show. Like, here's a showrunner with a clear vision, and he's just making his show. And it's uh, David Chase. Is that yeah? That's yes. And David Simon is the wire. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, David Chase I think is the first great TV auteur. There's one of those roundtables where it was J.K. Simmons. I think I told you this. Where they're like, "Is there any movie like anything you've been like asked to do in a film where you were like, this is uncomfortable?" And he was like, "I did 25 years of like off Broadway theater and then Oz where they pooped on my face. So no. <laughs> <laughs> After that, it was like." Can't be like worse. I guess it all went out the door with Oz. Yeah, except for uh, man, who had the answer that I thought was so funny. 
can't remember who it was. Oh, it was Jason Bateman. He was like, I wouldn't be in any like musical or dancing. And they're like, really? You hate dancing? He's like, I didn't dance at my own wedding. <laughs> it's like, that would terrify me. But J.K. Simmons did say the only time that he called him to like ask him for his permission was the weird musical episode of Oz. He said one reason Oz works so well is because the they let the actors kind of do whatever they want. Like they let, what's his name? Who was like the narrator? Yeah. I know that guy's name. Harold Perrineau yeah. is the actor. Um, they let him go off and do the Matrix movies and like not leave forever. He was allowed to come back or whatever. But man, listen to this just real quick, the dramas. So this isn't even getting into like the comedies and the docuseries and all that. Oz debuted in 97. Sopranos debuted in 99. You had um, Six Feet Under, which is critically acclaimed, debuted in 2001. The Wire then debuted in 2002. Uh, Carnival, which was kind of a stinker, debuted in 03. Deadwood in 04. They were cranking them out, man. And I know people that think Deadwood's the greatest TV show of all time. Yeah, yeah, I was a big fan. Yeah. It was, uh, yeah, it was, um, you know, and like HBO was so, like, it's so good because you, it's a, a really good, like, place when you hear, like, word of mouth to mm-hmm. go find it for yourself and pick it up wherever you pick it up and then become a fan. Mm-hmm. And that was, like, one of the things, like, that happened with Deadwood. You know, it was, like, I think, like, a friend or a roommate or something was like you know holy crap you need to see Ian McShane and I was like Ian McWho and uh, then I was like oh this guy yeah and that's what happened with you know one of the Talkie Talks favorite TV shows was The Leftovers HBO original series and it was just kind of like word of mouth word of mouth word of mouth all four of us got into it and we started watching it but some of these I forget and they're great Big Love was great mm-hmm um, the Leftovers, Newsroom, Treme was really good. Yeah. So, it's crazy. And then, you still haven't even gotten into their comedies, which are, you know, Veep is like the comedy of all comedies right now. Yeah, they've had some, some great ones. I mean... Kirby Enthusiasm? Yeah. Silicon Valley? Mm-hmm. Like... Yeah, we're talking some of the, like, greatest TV for our lifetimes right here. Yeah. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I... I've read a, a good bit. There was a, a book I read that was uh, really good on. Uh, it's called the, the the Revolution was televised, and it's a uh, it's a book about basically the modern the the thirteen or so. There's a chapter on each show, but it's like the thirteen or fifteen modern TV shows that basically created the current TV landscape. And it starts with Oz and Buffy, both which came out in '97. Um, and then Sopranos and whatnot. And it goes through like Lost and a bunch of other shows that were hugely influential. And every time there's an HBO show, it always talks about how everybody wanted to work with HBO because HBO was just like, what do you want to do? And we will have some input and we will, we will try to help you make your vision better, but we're not going to just like say, no, you can't do that. That's why uh, Oliver wanted to get HBO. John last Oliver. week tonight yeah, yeah John Oliver he was just like I told him what I wanted to do and they were like alright sounds good also like it seems like it gives like uh, an art auteur you know like a showrunner like a lot of like it gives them a lot to do yet a lot of like creative freedom and to like work with different people because all these shows are like directed by let's say you have a 10 episode season you'll have like one director do 
two episodes and then you know a bunch of different ones do the other eight right and all these like relationships are built and some some work some don't but Mm -hmm. like it's okay that they don't or you know and it's great when they do um you know it's good like training ground you know it's almost like you tv was back in the day like you know if you ever read anything about steven spielberg and like how he directed like episodes of uh, the Twilight Zone or something like that, you know, and you're like, oh, you've got to give like someone a chance, you know, it's a good, good, uh, spot to give people chances. Yeah. You know, I just love how long you can talk about it. Like Band of Brothers is probably the greatest miniseries of all time. Oh, so yes. <laughs> and I mean, I haven't seen we've, a lot we've of talk, other... We've talked about 30 HBO shows that are all great. Without mentioning it, you know what I mean? probably shouldn't just automatically say yes because I've never seen Roots. I've never seen other things that are considered. It's really good, though, man. Band of Brothers. Brothers, I don't know how. Could, I don't know how anything could be better. I'm gonna get her out real quick. Yeah, it. Um, yeah, with Band of Brothers. I find myself like not ever like going back to binge watch it, but like every Memorial Day weekend when I'm like, oh, they've got. The marathon on. I'm like, well, I know what I'm doing. Especially those I'm watching first, this. Those Kirky episodes with yeah. David Schwimmer are so fucking good. Yeah. The training episodes. Yeah. You know, there we're talking about like auteur freedom and, and showrunner freedom on, on HBO. And one thing that really, uh, I know HBO doesn't, they don't care as much as most networks about the bottom line. They do care about it, but they don't, like, I know The Wire was in, uh, it was one of the least watched shows on television when it was on. And it was not financially successful. They lost money making The Wire. But HBO said critics like this. They weren't even... I mean, The Wire was like not even getting any... I don't think it ever won an Emmy. No, it didn't. And, but they... The HBO was like, we're putting out what we think is one of the best shows ever. And yeah, so, you can afford yeah. to do that. We'll lose, we'll lose some money on it. So, that's fine. Because you don't really make money by good programming when you're HBO. I think to an extent you do. Like I it's think hard like, to draw that direct line. Like Game of Thrones, there are people who who bought HBO access so they could watch Game of Thrones. Sure, yeah. Game of Thrones is. Like, I mean, I almost feel like we need to put it in a separate little box somewhere. I think, I think people were doing it back in the day for The Sopranos. I think The Sopranos allowed The Wire to exist. The success of The Sopranos. I think it was a combination of things. Yeah, yeah. It uh, was definitely like a club that you, if you didn't have HBO. You weren't really in. Like, because it was, like, water cooler talk. Like, Mondays after The Sopranos. Like, I remember going to work. And, like, everyone... Like, I waited tables at the time. You'd walk into the kitchen and everyone was rehashing The Sopranos. You know? Oh, yeah. And uh, that's, like, all you talked about. And they you do about, it nowadays with Game of Thrones. They talked about know? it on sports radio, I remember. Like, yeah. talked about The Sopranos. Or mm-hmm. So, it was like, well, how much do I need to spend to sign up to get into the club? You know, to like see what you what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, also, no, their their DVD sales were through the roof for the same reason, like more than most TV shows, because people really wanted people who didn't have HBO wanted to be, be involved. Like, okay, I, I want to see The Sopranos at least, and so they would go buy. I think uh, like my brother at the time never had didn't have HBO, but he bought like every season of The Sopranos, so he could yeah. so he could watch it. I got another one that we haven't talked about yet <laughs> that might be the best season of TV huh. I've ever seen, which is the first season of True Detective. 
Man. I'm telling you, man, HBO in 20 years just put out, like, masterpiece, not even hit after hit, but, can, like... Can you imagine that first episode on CBS? Like, this wouldn't have been less, good. Less moon vests walking it, just be like, yeah, we're not gonna, we're not showing this. We use language that the old people will understand, you know? Right. Yeah. Let's get this past censors. Yeah. So, I mean, Matthew McConaughey sitting there talking about how time is a flat circle. Coming up next, person of interest. <laughs> not <talk. laughs> Like, can you imagine any of those HBO shows with a character from another show walking across the bottom of the screen? Like, uh, you know, the new oh, yeah. the new comedy from Leah Remini. And it's spinning yeah. around slowly. It's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's a Family Guy gag where it's like, coming up next, it was like, spinning black guy. There's the black guy spinning. It was like, followed by shoving buddies. There's like six like, college-age people you know, trying to get each other off the screen. God. <laughs> shoving buddies. HBO is uh, still... I think the thing that is most impressive to me is they were these like building blocks for all these shows that we love. Um, and I still get excited. I still think they're the A1 player in the game. Sure. I mean, they're making Game of Thrones, which is... Even if you don't want to call it the best TV show of all time, it is unparalleled. There's yeah. never been anything like it. And there might never be anything like no it. No one has ever given somebody or a production team... $10 million an episode to make an episode. They gave them $100 million to do season six. It probably went over that, but like, that means like $10 million an episode. Like, that's just was unheard of. You know, it's like basically go make me a major motion picture every week for every week. That yeah, I know like they that. spent like, what was it, 40% of their budget for season five was spent on Battle of the Bastards? Mm hmm. Yeah. Like, and, and they, even then, they were like, "Was everybody was like, where's Ghost? Y'all remember that? Yeah. And they were like, look, man, did you want the giant or did you want the dog? We <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. can't afford everything. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and Yeah, they've been, uh, it's a fascinating story. Like, I mean, they're almost, it's almost 50 years old, which is like. It's wild. Their wild first original program was before I was born, which is ridiculous. I think it was like right when I was born, 1972. Like seven. Maybe, maybe that old. Maybe I'm, and that might be like some of the like original like sports shows mm -hmm. they used to have. Yeah, like yeah. They've, they've been a they've been a major player in the boxing game forever, right? And they've been like an industry player for mm -hmm. like Showtime was a reaction to them. Like mm -hmm. the industry was like, wait a minute, what's going on here? You know, and uh, like they keep having those moments. Yeah, of, wait from, a minute, what's going on here? Aside from like late night smut. There was no original programming for like Cinemax and Showtime when I was a kid. No. Right. You know? Showtime probably fired up in the early 2000s or so. Yeah. I mean, I. Oh, like original content? Yeah. Oh. I mean, they had like Red Shoe Diaries. Like I was saying, they had like shit. Uh, yeah, I mean, like them but, them trying to make good shows. Yes. Like. I think it was in the, in the odds. Yeah. And, and I don't even know if Cinemax does it now. HBO also do. treaded water a little bit in that, too. Um, you know, like. For the longest time, it was like first run movies. Be the first to get them onto your channel. Mm -hmm. You know, be the oh, first right. to get Ghostbusters. Right after my parents got divorced, my mom was like, "We're getting HBO." It was just me and her in the house. You know what I mean? And yeah. Like, my dad never allowed us to spend money. We're going to do it, and we yeah. got it. And I remember like being amazed because it was like every Saturday night there's a new movie. And I was yeah. like, "What?" Like you don't have to go to the movies ever again. <laughs> I mean, they'll show every like, movie. One of like. 
the perks of like going on a family vacation as a kid. You were staying in a motel that had an HBO. Yeah. Yes. You were like, oh, cool. Let's get home and watch war games. Right. It's, you know, it's still. So let's get back to the motel. It so we can at nine. Yeah. <laughs> so we can watch that. That's so ingrained in me. I still do it in hotels, even though I have HBO Go. Hotels still do it. They're like free HBO. Free HBO. <laughs> Yeah, it was a it's complete like, selling right. point. You pass like three motels to stay at like the Motel Six because they had jacuzzi, HBO free. I have HBO on demand. I have everything HBO shows. Like I can just literally go pick it any time and press press play. And yet, when I'm in a hotel, I grab the remote. If we turn on the TV, the first thing I do is flip to HBO. See just like on. see what's on. See what's on HBO because because it's the same thing when I was a kid. It was. Anytime you went on vacation, it was, ooh, HBO. Because yeah. we didn't have HBO. We didn't have cable till I was like nine years old. Yeah. We had TBS and... and PBS. And, Those are my two and, channels, and, man. TBS and PBS. Local, like, ABC, CBS, local channels. But, yeah, so, so HBO definitely had a... Dominated that reputation for a long time. And to the point now where, like, the... I was going to go over their current programming at the end, but the in-development programming, it's just, whenever HBO is tied to it, you're just like, fuck, it'll probably be really good. Watchmen? Totally excited about Watchmen. Oh, HBO yeah. Yeah. series. Well, fucking Perry Mason? Did y'all see that? They're making yeah. Perry Mason. Yeah. And I'm just like, sweet. I bet, I bet it'll be great. <laughs> yeah. There's, uh, yeah, I was about to say, we should at least give some, I haven't seen it, so I'm not great to talk about it, but... I know it's probably the most beloved show of 2017 was Big Little Lies on HBO. Big Little Lies, yeah, was, and it cleaned up at the award shows. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's coming back. Um, I still think a lot of the, the documentaries they do are fantastic, too. I mean, when we first got it, I loved oh, yeah. watching all their documentaries. Have you seen the Gary Shandling one? The oh, the Gary Shandling show. Shit. That was well, early. not even the show. I know, but like, I know you just reminded me of that. The Judd Apatow. Yeah. You know, and it, it was so long, it had to split it into, like, two two-hour segments. Yeah. But it's great. I, I'm a sucker for those, you know, like, history, like, documentaries of people, pop culture. Andre the Giant was great. You know, like, they just keep pumping those out, and I'm just like, yes, please. Yeah. Um, yeah, I uh, kind of rattle off a few movies that stand out to me that are, like, HBO original movies. Yeah, I'll, that, like, I've got some, too. Please okay. go ahead. Yeah, um... It's sort of a mixed bag. Like I, the first one I remember was, um, um, the one. Uh, it was back in like maybe the nineties with James Garner. It, I don't know if it was all that great, but I grew up in a house that loved James Garner, so like I had to watch it. You know, I became a fan. It was uh, Barbarians at the Gate, hmm. <laughs> and it was one of those where like HBO tackles these like things that are news stories. But they fictionalize them, but they're sort of skirting nonfiction and fiction. All the players are the same. You know, like when they did the Sarah Palin one. Mm-hmm. And they keep doing these movies. I love the Sarah Palin one. I mean, they've done them. Yeah. Don King, they've done the Tyson movie, you know. So yeah. it seems like that's their, like, what they, like, want to do. You know, Bio, that was, like, Bio, the first Biopics. one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 61. Yeah. we all seen 61. Yeah. It's great. I think 61 is the only HBO movie I'd seen before the Fahrenheit 451. Yeah, yeah really? So okay. what what would you most recommend among HBO movies? So you've definitely seen some, <laughs> I think, that got distributed. The HBO decided right. they wanted to like put in for award for like Oscar. Like I think American Splendor was an HBO film. Yeah. You seen that? 
It was really good, though. Yeah. Um, Amistad? Never seen Amistad. Um, Did you see Elephant, the Ghost Van Zandt film? No. Okay. My Big Fat Greek Wedding. I did see My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Okay. That's HBO Productions. Okay. So they did that like kind of like Amazon did Manchester by the Sea. So it was available in theaters and just produced by... Yeah. They financed some sort of production of it. Not that you've seen it, but like Sex and the City was obviously HBO Films. Those movies. Oh, right. Yeah. I mean, are we get, are we just shortchanging Sex in the City? I mean, I've... No, known, it's... I've known people that... Massive. Like, who threw Sex in the City parties. It was appointment television. Massive. With, like, 12 people in the room. I watched a shit ton of it when I was yeah. in high school. I mean, it was... It was just as good as anything else that, you know? Yeah. For its genre, it was better than everything else I was on. Yeah, and I think that's, like, a role, like, HBO's, like, had over the years of, like getting people like together you know like to watch mm-hmm. stuff like event TV mm-hmm. um anyways so there are a couple of them I remember like my subscription to HBO has been spotty but like um I remember one about uh the late shift the whole story of God, the, I David Letterman so and uh Jay Leno and you know the retirement of that guy looks just like David Letterman too and it's uh what's his name from the John Michael Higgins, yeah, or something Higgins. Oh, yeah, man. yeah, he's totally from all the Christopher Guest movies. Yeah, yeah, and the other guy looks—I know he's wearing a chin, but yeah, he looks Jay just Leno. like Jay Leno. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Bob Balaban's in it, and uh, um, who really plays Helen Kushnick? It's a, uh, it's the the lady from Misery, Kathy Bates. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one a recent one you should watch is I think it's called All the Way. It's the LBJ story of the 1964 civil rights legislation. Oh, interesting. What it's with, called. Um, Brian Cranston and Anthony Mackie. Yeah, Cranston's... Yeah. I mean, I, wow. Where were we the last year when I wouldn't shut up about it and people kept wanting to slap me? I don't know. Oh. You've never talked about that movie. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I love Cranston, but boy, he just knocks it out of the park in this one. He's just so good. And it's just such a great cast. You like, well... Bradley Whitford's in it, you know. Anthony Mackie's in it. Do love me some Bradley Whitford. Yeah, they do, they do good work. anybody ever see Temple Grandin? No, you know what that is. Ashley saw it. She it's really, the I think she liked it. Cassandra liked it a lot. I liked it a lot too. It's Claire Danes plays the autistic girl who pretty much invented a way to herd cattle. She's like a rodeo, like grew up in the rodeo, and she invented this way to like herd cattle more efficiently. And she was like severe autistic. Like, huh. what's the What's the syndrome that's like on the spectrum severe? What's it called? I don't know. Shit. I don't know. I'm sorry. No, it's not Asperger's. Yes. Oh. No. <laughs> there you go. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> still, microphone's still on. <laughs> Love that time microphone check. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. Behind the candel- Candelabra? Clean like, up. Yeah, that was really good. And uh, yeah, Soderbergh's like definitely like... Ooh. He's embraced premium television as, like, another avenue. So, Game Changer is definitely, like, a liberal-minded telling of that. But Recount? Have y'all seen Recount? Oh, yeah. So good and so balanced. Uh, That's the story of the 2000 election. Mm -hmm. Really, really good. Yeah, there there are a few of these I've seen where I was like, oh, I remember seeing that. It was good. Yeah. 
that strip search movie I talked about when we talked about the films of um, <laughs> Sidney Lumet. Oh yeah, was fucking crazy. And that was a movie that he couldn't get distributed, so HBO did it for him. Yeah, also seems like this like place to go like for like a really good actor or actresses to go and like have do something else and not like worry about. Yeah, you know, like the whole like Hollywood thing and like going on the press tour and like you know, like Cranston did it. Like, what was the Kenneth Branagh played FDR in one? Mm -hmm. Was the thing it was called like was it called Warm Springs? Yes. Yeah, he was great in that. You know, so it's like you don't have to deal with all that. You can just go do a great movie, and you know. You've already got HBO like set up to do like everything. So that's distribution model, all the you know, publicity, all that stuff. That's what happened with the strip search movie. It was he wanted to make a movie where a, an American girl got arrested in China and a like Arab man got arrested in DC and they were getting interrogated in like awful ways and they married each other. They're kind of like a you know a showcase of like we're doing this just like they are and yeah. we hated what they're doing kind of thing and City Limit made it it was like two and a half hours long and he wanted to pretty much show it where like you know these Chinese investigators like pretty much raped Maggie Gyllenhaal you know and how it's like the same as strip searching this guy in DC who you think's a terrorist who's not you know and nobody wanted to put the movie out they were like we can't you know we're not would they have we, to don't like, wanna, we don't even want to send this to, like to the ratings it. committee. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, it was very, very hard to watch. Maggie Gyllenhaal was great in it. And somebody like Sidney Lumet in 2006, he didn't give a shit. And he's like, no, I want to put out my movie. Right. And go to HBO, and they're like, yeah, we'll put it on at 10 o'clock on a Saturday night. You know what I mean? Yeah, we need content. Yeah. Sidney Lumet, sure. Sold. Yeah. So <laughs> I think that's the thing that, like, whether it's a, whether it winds up being a good or a bad movie, or a good or a bad TV show... The one thing you can always trust when you're watching an HBO show is that you're getting... It's probably the closest... There is there is studio input, but it's the closest you're getting to the filmmaker's vision of, sure. of almost any any format. It's not going to be always. director's cuts of HBO shows and movies. Because they're already the director's cut. Yeah. Pretty much. Uh, unless they see real problems with like Fahrenheit 451, for right. example. Right. Yeah. And if you're going to do... A TV show format, like you're going to do 52 minutes, you don't have to worry about like commercial interruptions, like screwing up like your story, mm -hmm. you know? And they're just going to tack on some little eight minute thing at the end. It doesn't matter, you know? Like, yeah. HBO's just going to tack over, stay tuned for behind the scenes afterwards, and like the credits roll at 49 minutes and it's over. And, or they roll it a minute, you know, an hour and 13. Mm -hmm. There's no, you're, you're, you got a whole heck of a lot more leeway, you know, like as like a TV or movie maker. Yeah, they definitely care. This sounds pretentious, but they definitely care like more about the art than uh, most networks do. Mm -hmm. And they have been doing it longer than networks that still do. Like, I, I mean, I still think like AMC cares a little more than most. But HBO kind of just started that whole thing of, you know, yeah. Showrunners are directors for TV. I mean, talking about the TV shows mm -hmm. specifically. And if you give a showrunner freedom, you know, 
Yeah, and they're yeah. willing to take the chances, like you were saying about wire the wire, and it was like critically acclaimed or whatever. They don't care about aber- advertisers, so like they're like, but we're gonna own the content forever, yeah, or they, whatever, however long we're gonna own it, uh, and like it's going to pay off at some point. Yeah, they own a top ten TV show for everybody that's seen it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, same with like Sopranos, Boardwalk Empire. Never seen it, but oh, people man. fucking love that show. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, it's really good. Yeah, <laughs> speaking of Michael Shannon, <laughs> it's, I don't even know. The only thing I know about that is Buscemi. I think. Yeah, I never saw a second of it, but yeah, <laughs> we recommend HBO. <laughs> Turns out <laughs> worth the uh, four dollars a month or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, well that was that was a good talk. Uh, yeah, time, that was fun. Time for homework. Yes. And I am assigning it. This is going to be a Talk of Fame nomination. A blind Talk of Fame talk, uh, nomination on my part. I've never seen this movie. Uh, I know TJ has seen it. I know David has seen it. I don't know about Chris. But. <laughs> I blind. I just was like, this is the miracle worker. <laughs> it's a blind Talk of Fame. Um, no, we're going right. to be watching uh, Mulholland Drive. And I gotta make sure I pick the right one because we're not gonna be watching Mulholland Falls. Can we watch Miracle Worker instead? <laughs> what do you got against Nick Nolte? <laughs> yeah. So Mulholland Drive's a uh, it's almost said it's a fun watch. It's a watch. Have you seen it? Oh, I have not. Okay. But it's on you know everybody's like list that should see. Yep. From what I understand, it's, so, a, it's a wild ride. I've yeah. seen some people say it's David Lynch's best movie. Yeah, and I've so. seen some people say it's one of the best movies in this millennium so yeah. far. So, yeah. So, there you have it. Yeah, that's your definite home. blind spot. It's on me. Amazon Prime right now, and uh, it's a little longer. It's like two and a half hours, but hopefully it's worth it. I'm excited to check it out again. And that's that. So, this has been Talkie Talk, podcast for the media by us.com. Check out our site and see our stuff at themediabyus.com. You can uh, join our Facebook groups, uh, Movies By Us, TV By Us, Games By Us. You can follow us on Twitter, at Media By Us. And uh, email us your suggestions and ideas at themediabyus at gmail.com. We uh, would love for you to subscribe to the podcast and or give us a rating on the podcasting app of your choice. And last but not least, we want to thank the Willow Walkers for our intro music. Yay! And we want to thank Burifa for music. It is uh, not too late to catch their shows coming up. August uh, Burifa has a show August 17th at Tin Roof Cantina in Atlanta. And uh, the Willow Walkers will be appearing at... Smith's Old Bar. Smith's Old Bar. I always forget that name of that place. Missile Bar on September fourth. That's a Tuesday night. You got nothing. You got nothing going on on that Tuesday. So go go see the Willow Walkers. Yeah. Um, and uh, that'll do it. Thanks everybody, and thanks Al for joining us today. Yay. Yeah, that was fun. Uh, bye bye. Kicking rocks down old dusty roads. Small town, slow pokes, long time ago. 
Kicking out records of all the things that I know 